You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. Recording. All right. Hey everyone, welcome to the new episode of Yoshi Den in lovely and amazing Pasadena, California, the home of Caltech and of course um, my favorite architectural buildings over here.、Um, I thought you were going to say, and of course, my good friend Chris Gore, but you didn't say that. You said architecture? Yeah. So you love architecture in Pasadena? The Gamble House. If you, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. I have not gone to the Gamble House. I hear it's, it's, I hear it's amazing. It's, I hear it's, it's fantastic. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and yeah.、Uh, there's a couple of Frank Lloyd Wright buildings in Pasadena. And、uh, of course, we have a great Chris Gore here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Finally, you get to it. But, I, but that's all right, but that's okay. I think those other things that you mentioned, I think, are very.、Uh, Important. I think they're more important than I am.、Um, Certainly. They're. In the ranking of important things、mm-hmm. that are in Pasadena, I rank pretty fucking low, let's be honest. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> My I, favorite dive bar, though, here is the、yeah. 35er. You can often see me there, probably a couple times a week. The 35er up on Colorado. It's, it, it, was, it was known、uh, back in the day as the Dirty Diver. Uh, for various reasons. Why? 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 I think it's because people used to fuck in the bathroom. Oh. Just a theory. But I don't, you know, the thing is, Pasadena doesn't have that reputation, I don't think. It's,、um, no, Pasadena's really cleaned up. I mean, when I, 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 I lived here back in the、uh, late 90s, I lived in Pasadena, and downtown Pasadena was awful. I mean, it was just garbage. Now it's like, I mean, you could say it's been gentrified, but, but what's, what I love about it is they've still left the dive bars and the porn shop. So, right near the, there's, there's a, a porn shop and a pawn shop. So, Yoshi, you could go sell something and then you could go get some adult materials. Do they have booth in this por-、uh, porn yeah, shop? Yeah, they do in the basement. Huh. I mean, it's, it's a pretty extensive porn. It's not one of those like, You know, froofy like couples ones that you'll see that it's like for couples and for the upscale gay community. This is a freaking porn shop where you go to get stuff to jerk off to and giant oddly shaped dildos. I mean, basically, when you have this booth, it's, it's pretty much a gay thing now. Is it really? Yeah, because it's, it's where I don't know how many times I used to have to take a bat to the back booth when the guys, gay guys. I mean, I thought you were going to say you need to take a bath. No, 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 no. <laughs> gay guys take a bath all over their face. <laughs> But for those of you, you know, if, you, if you're. You know, it's been a while since you and I have done a podcast together. Yes. Yeah, no, well, we, have, we have a lot of things to catch up on. Well, technically, we've done a bunch of like, a convention floor. Right, that's true. But we haven't really done a podcast where we've talked about and brought people up to speed on. What's going on? Yeah, there's a lot of things that have happened. It's been months. This is,、uh, what、well, was August 21st, 2014. Right. And、uh, of course, we have、um, incident in Ferguson, Missouri. You have、uh, ISIS in、uh, Iraq and Syria. You have Ebola in Africa. The thing, that, the thing that bugs me about the ISIS thing is when I was a kid, 
I used to watch a TV show called Captain Marvel, and Captain Marvel was teamed with in the Power Hour with Mighty Isis. Mighty Isis had a similar concept to uh, uh, Captain Marvel's show, which was also known as Shazam. Billy Batson was this kid. He was an annoying kid who went around in a recreational vehicle with some old dude. And whenever Billy Batson would say the word Shazam, he would basically, he was a teenager yeah. who would then turn into an adult. He was in, in a really weird, you know, uh, red leotard with yellow pirate boots and a yellow lightning bolt on his chest and then a weird white and gold cape. So every time he, so, he, so Billy Batson, this little kid, you know, with, with a red shirt would then turn into Captain Marvel, who then basically kind of had the powers of Superman. And he was supposed to be based on some god, but what they did was they would pair it with a thing called Isis, Mighty Isis, and it was a similar concept where they had this another old uh, uh, mythological figure, and Isis would go around, and they would solve crimes and really stupid problems, mostly kids trapped down wells. They're really, the, the, the range of things that things that they would solve are really lame, but it really bothers me now because I feel like now with the DC Universe expanding through Warner Brothers, you know, they're making Batman versus Superman, Prelude to Justice, which is supposed to be, you know, the prequel kind of to the Justice League movie. So they're going to be bringing in characters like Shazam slash Captain Marvel. And now ISIS, I feel, is in danger of that because the name has been tarnished by the events in the Middle East. So let me get this straight. When you say Shazam, the kid turns adult. He turns, when he, the kid says Shazam, he turns into Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel is kind of a, he's sort of a pussy version of Superman, let's be honest. I mean, you know, it was, I mean, they were created around the same time. I'm not even sure of the history of that, of which was created first. But, you know, um, Captain, so, so Captain Marvel is, is another, another one of those. I think it was Billy Batson went in a cave and found some old dude who said, yeah, you know, if you say Shazam, you're going to, like, turn into Captain Marvel. And then you can, like, beat people up. They're, like, bigger than you. So, which is kind of a cool, like, I mean, all superheroes are teenage boys' power fantasies or young children's power fantasies of, like, I wish I wasn't small, wish I was big so I could take on whoever is trying to challenge me in the world. So when you're a small child, the fantasy is I would like to have superpowers so I could beat the crap out of the kids that are bullying me. So every time she, you say Shazam, there's many, many disappointed pedophiles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, like, like let's, say, let's say Billy Batson is getting anally raped. Yes. And in the middle... For my being, sake, I hope yeah, that's... What, he's getting, that's what he's getting anally raped by a dude. Yes. And he's a child, yes. Billy Batson. And he says Shazam. Suddenly, the pedophile is having sex with a full-grown adult. And that's really disgusting. That would be... Well, I think both things are, are just, you know, those are not, I mean, especially when it's forced, it's never, unless it's consensually forced, you know what I'm saying? That's a weird, that's Did a whole other topic. consensually forced? Well, you can, it can be in situations where you might be in, in, with, with an intimate partner where they might request certain things are done to them, and then those, those are just certain kinds of, you've never had like a girl ask to be a little bit rough with you? 
You know, you can be rough with her, like, in, in bed and all. That's never happened. Well, at the girls' camp. I guess when you're paying for it, anything goes. I don't know. But, um, yeah, so so ISIS, every time I see this ISIS thing, they think, oh. When you say ISIS, are, we, are, mighty we, ISIS, I, I, are we talking think, about, like, Egyptian character? Yeah, the Egyptian character, Mighty ISIS. Yeah, so because I, don't know, a, I don't know where the, I mean, this, this group is horrible. I mean, what happened to James Foley is disgusting. I have not watched the video. Um... It's and it's it's horrific. I mean, everything. Well, if you listen to it, Benny Hill music, you can watch it. <laughs> oh no, I could never do that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, 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 I don't like. I don't want to have those things in my head. Like yeah. I saw uh, uh, those uh, Faces of Death movies when I worked at a video store in the eighties. I worked at a video store and I saw all the Faces of Death videos. Sure. And I found them disturbing. I don't like as much as my last name is Gore. I don't like to watch things that are gory. I don't need I don't need that stuff in my head. And I prefer psychological horror, not horror that is based in just, you know, stuff that's gory. I have a friend, Alfred, he opens for Gabriel Iglesias. And he drove me just crazy every time I see him because he'll run up and show me those Mexican cartels murdering people down in Mexico. Yeah, I can't watch those oh things. Oh my god. Those things I it's find fucking so don't even show me that shit. I don't want I don't need to watch it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't I don't want to watch it, but all, all that stuff that's happening with ISIS. This is the, how the brain of a, a nerd works is, you know, I think of the impact it might have on the future of the DC characters. I don't even know if Mighty ISIS is a DC Wait, character. So can I start? It's, it's, a, it's a show from when I was growing up when I was a kid. It was a Saturday morning show. Mm -hmm. Just look up Mighty ISIS and uh, you'll discover that. I mean, this is a horrible way also to talk about this. I mean, you know, um, it just seems like now we have yet another threat that we have to throw money at because apparently this group, ISIS, is very well funded. I mean, you know, to the tune of north of, you know, a billion dollars uh, in funding and a lot of it just from ransoms. I mean, that's how, I mean, the French government uh, is seems perfectly willing to pay, you know, uh, ransom for their, for their citizens, which is awful because now then they become more desirable. Well, Until the U.S. policy is the correct policy, which is well, I'm not, not paying, I, 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 to not pay ransom. Unless, of course, because you're, then you're then the dollars you spend, you're funding terrorism. Then, so the French government indirectly, Chris, indirectly, no, listen, the French government is Chris. Anyone who buys gasoline, you are financing terrorism. Well, it, actually, it, technically, you are right. I mean, I mean, this is this is why this whole this is to me all that is disgusting. Look, if there was another choice. I, I, as a consumer, I have no other choice. I live in a city where it's necessary. I'm not. To have I'm, a not car. I'm not. I'm not pointing fingers, but this is a reality. More yeah, money. I agree with you. More I money. Agree. More money. Go back to Saudi Arabia and fact that I have many Iranian friends. I, I like Iranians. I don't like their government, but to me, Saudi Arabia is far worse. In fact, they're financing most of the terrorists, at least Muslim terrorism, which sounds redundant. Well, this is why we should have in the seventies. Uh, done what was it Brazil that that uh, yes. resolved themselves to be entered to be not dependent on any other nation, not sending you know the the the, the you know the the wealth of the nation to another country to make them wealthy for um, energy natural resources. The problem is, and I've talked to because my uncle actually works in the auto industry. I mean, That's right, you're from Detroit. I'm from Detroit, so I have you know family in the auto industry. There is no cheaper um, fuel source than gasoline. Um, gasoline has an infrastructure 
So there's there's no there's no less expensive method. All the other methods methods hydrogen, solar, all those all those cost more money. So if, if we have the resolve as a nation to do that, I mean we could actually I mean look our our, our energy grid is messed up in the United States, you know, and I, I can't believe we're still mining coal. It's such a I mean, that, that's for those of you not familiar, um, Brazil made a decision about 35, 40 years ago. Instead of being dependent on petroleum, they decided to use their sugar because they produce a lot of sugar cane. And if you've been to Brazil, which I have, um, Rio, you see gas station, but they also provide ethanol as a fuel for your car. So they're less dependent on... on and, right. and, and if we, if we mm -hmm. did in the United States, you can, you can Google this and look this up. If, if we took a 50-mile grid in the United States, say 50 miles of desert in the middle of nowhere, and there are plenty of places in the United States where there's 50 square miles of, of unused desert land where there's, where there's sun almost, you know, you know there's, there's very little rain or clouds. Sure. All we need is 50 miles of solar panels to power the entire grid of the United States. 50 miles. Now... That's 50 square miles of solar panels. That is a huge undertaking. That's like building, you know, we need to probably bring in the Chinese, like building the railroads, right? Um, we, we, but, but if we had this, it would power the entire grid of the United States. You can, you can look up the research, you know, this, 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 is, this is real. Uh, but I just don't think that we have the resolve in, in in the federal government these days. It's funny you to accomplish anything. I mean, you know, we have no. There's no. There's such gridlock. I believe this. This is this. This is this is going to sound a little paranoid. I believe that in our lifetime, Yoshi, you and I will witness the former United States. It has become so divisive, and there are so many problems that remain unsolved. Big national problems that are unsolved because. The two warring parties care more about being right and winning than actually solving issues. Our last greatest achievement as a nation was putting a man on the moon. And so many great technologies came from that. The, the race against the Russians to get to the moon created so many technologies that we, whether it be advances in computers, the VCR, um, jet propulsion, so many um, Modern conveniences and inventions came from that race. Even things like adhesives, like crazy glue, you know, had to be invented. You know, you you, you talk about uh, making fun of your last name. You sound like Al Gore. Do I really? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying. Look, well, I mean, maybe. You know, look, I met Al Gore once. Um, it was at the Sundance Film Festival, and he came up and saw my badge and said, "Hey, cuz." Do you really? Uh, it was great. I had a great conversation with him. He posed for a photo. Uh, we talked about where the gores came from. Yeah. We figured out that we're probably distantly related. But um, I feel like if the guy that I met at the Sundance Film Festival, this was one year before his movie, An Inconvenient Truth, came mm -hmm. out. Um, it was a year before that. He was actually just going to Sundance to check sure. it out. And I didn't even know he was working on a documentary. He said, oh, I'm just here with some documentary friends of mine. We're going to see movies. Yeah. I mean, he was a citizen at that point. But if that guy, that normal guy, had run for president, rather than the robot that he basically, I mean, he was, he was overproduced. But I believe that he, if he was just himself and passionate, he would have won that election because it was so close. But 
But I think it really hurt him, too, that he tried to distance himself away from Clinton. And I understand right. why. Well, I understand why. I, I understand the sex why, scandal. And I that. understand why he did it. But the thing is, you're not going to have anyone speak better on your behalf than that guy. No, uh, that Clinton's amazing. And I'm not a fan of a guy either, but the reality is he... I'm a fan of Clinton. Fuck, let's get back to the Clinton days, man. I'm... You're right. He, uh, in, in terms of economy and things like that, there's no In point. terms of the economy, yeah. you balance the budget. I mean, you know, it was weird. You know, Bush came in with a surplus. I, I don't know that that's going to happen again. I mean, it's just, I just, I just, when you look at uh, sort of the, 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 the social, you know, what, what's mm-hmm. happening socially in our, in our country, what's happening with regard to just the big problems that are going unaddressed. But Chris, unaddressed. But Chris, you do realize if you look at the big, big, big picture, things are better. In terms of malnutrition, in terms of malaria and tuberculosis, in, um, globally. Right, right. Okay. It, it's, it's, uh, even Bill Gates and Gates Institute will tell you things are better. Um, we just have a higher expectation in this country. That's why we feel this way. But. Now, why have you not done the ice bucket challenge? Let's let's. Why have you not done? I, that? First of all, I don't even know what that is. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been seeing people do that. It's but. it's first of all, it's irritating, and I actually ended up doing it. But I feel. But what like is it? The ALS. It's first of all, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. Right. ALS. It's it's a debilitating disease uh, that affects. I don't for a moment. Unfortunately, it, here's here's what's weird about it. As a charity, they since they started doing this, like last year, the charity raised a little over two million dollars. Since they started this big promotion in July, they've raised $15 million. But what do you do? But the thing is, this, it only affects about 32,000 Americans. It would, it would be better if resources were put towards a different charity. Yes. You know, like, like a, you know, something that affects more people, like cancer research. Well, um, this or is... AIDS. The, but, but, but long and short of it, um, what you do is, is, in this challenge, you challenge someone uh, to donate money to... A, what you do is you challenge three people that you know, mm-hmm. and you've basically been challenged. By take by accepting the challenge, you pour a bucket of ice water over your head Why? on video, and then you challenge three other people to do it within 24 hours, and you are, you're supposed to donate money to charity and then pour a bucket of water over your head. I actually did both, so I donated to ALS, and then I poured a bucket of ice water over my head but what I did was I took my I took an old iPhone yeah and I taped it to the bottom of the bucket and then I poured water in it and ice so when you see my video which is on YouTube if you go to youtube.com slash that Chris Gore you'll see my on my YouTube channel um, is the video of me pouring the bucket but it's from the buckets point of view yeah so you can actually just see like me like get the water you, you see it from the bucket from the bottom of the bucket it's kind of funny but I just wanted to do it differently look I got challenged and I kind of feel like I'm an asshole if I do this because I'm just riding the trend of everyone else doing this ice bucket challenge yeah. or I'm an asshole if I don't do it because I'm ignoring my friend Mark Bell from Film Threat who challenged me so I felt like I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't I got challenged. Fine, I'll do it. 
So I begrudgingly just did it. Yeah. And I, but now it's become this trend where everybody's doing it, and now there's a kind of a backlash against it. And when you when you do the research on charities and donating, I mean there is a point. If you if you do if you donate, then you're less likely to donate to other charities. So the fact that ALS is getting a lot of money is is hurting other charities is the, is the theory. What's well, opportunity know I, cost? I, what's that? Opportunity cost. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, people feel like once they've donated to something, they've done their good for the year. Yeah. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know, man. I, I also don't 100% trust a lot of charities, too, because a lot of the money goes towards infrastructure or goes towards more fundraising. So basically, you're paying staffs of people to have jobs in the nonprofit sector who, whose job is to raise money. You see two example abuse. Like, I'm not saying it's bad. Like, I, I actually, look, I think medical research, that's one of the best... That's one of the best uses of money. But you have two you have abuses in charities like Yeah, it happens. Um, athlete hired their dumb family into their charities then for tax reasons, but they hired their dumb relatives for right. their charities. You also have this loophole in uh, politicians. Um, they can they only could get X amount of money for their uh, running for their office, campaign money, but I think it's unlimited when it comes to if you start your own charity, you get a lot of airtime. You're saying, hey, I'm this politician, I'm doing this special charity, I'm also running for office, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's a, it's a <laughs> right. charity thing. Um, I, guess, I guess when it comes to stuff like this, you, you have to be kind of cold-blooded about it. Instead of putting money in something that make you feel good for doing things that make you feel good, but actually it's not doing any good versus putting money in things that's not very sexy, but actually doing more good. Uh, Bjorn Lomberg, he is professor at the Copenhagen Institute, he talked about this and, and he basically said, if you put money, one dollar in malnutrition, let's say it gives you social good of 55 or 57 dollars good in return for each dollar you charge, versus if you put money in something, let's say, oh, I don't know, What, what disease? Like something to do with food infection or something. For every, every dollar you get 89 things, social good back. Well, it makes no sense. If you're putting down, you're getting less than one dollar. So there's people like Bjorn Lomberg say, isn't it better to put something to actually give you more good when you put one dollar? But like malnutrition doesn't get any sort of sexy kind of thing out there, mm. you know? So I understand what you're saying. It, it's. Well, I mean, I, I'd like, I'd, I'd personally like to do more research about like what are the best charities. What are the ones that have like the least overhead, where the majority of the dollars you're actually, when your one dollar goes, how is that pie broken up in terms of this much for administration, this much for fundraising, this much for advertising? How much actually is it? Fifty cents out of the dollar actually goes towards, you know. There should be have a, an impact. There should be Yelp for all this, like Red Cross or whatever, and then maybe give you a breakdown. I, I do, I do think Red Cross have a very good reputation, but mm -hmm. yeah, you do. I you. donate to the Salvation Army all the time, but it's like all my old clothes and T-shirts. I've done that too. I, I, I do that once a year. I do like a big purge and take stuff to the Salvation so, Army. All, all and I do like Toys for Tots just because. So I, all of a sudden, you see a bunch of homeless people with Batman T-shirts. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I want them to be well dressed. <laughs>
So, Chris, uh, like like uh, we were saying in the beginning, it's um, August, and um, we done a couple podcasts, but they were during convention panel and things like that. Well, yeah, we did panels and stuff. We actually, I mean, uh, well, gosh, we were at Phoenix Comic Con where we did the Kings of Cosplay Comedy, which that show was awesome. It was like a Saturday night. Uh, it was a big featured show. We had like at least 200 people show up. Yeah. Um, it was uh, right after Brian Posehn's show. You dressed as Yoda. We did the uh, roast of George Lucas, in which I played George Lucas, and uh, it was a fun show. I mean, it's a good, it's it's a concept that you that we've been doing at different conventions. Are you coming to Dragon Con with me? I, it depends. Are you going to go? I, it I got you a badge, man. It, it depends on now. Uh, Russell said he'll give me tickets, but I haven't heard back from him. So oh, go go to Dragon Con, man. And so, I, so yeah, we're going to be doing at Dragon Con. We're going to be doing the Kings of Cosplay comedy. So uh, I'll bring your costume. Um, <laughs> when we when we did in Phoenix, I keep forgetting his name, John. Sh- John Schnepp. Schnepp. Can you talk a little bit about him? He, he's really interesting. John, yeah, John Schnepp is a friend of mine. He was I met in the early to mid nineties. Yeah. And John is an incredibly talented animator, director, uh, musician, special effects guy. He's, he's just one of those very multi-talented guys. He's probably best known as a director on shows like The Venture Brothers uh, and an, another animated show called Metalocalypse. He actually... Oh, he worked on that? Not only did he work on Metalocalypse, and he's the director of the best episodes of that show. If you look up his name, John Schnepp, J-O-N-S-C-H-N-E-P-P. Uh, John also designed the characters. So... Um, uh, you know, he 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 actually all those characters. He actually designed the characters, okay. and then ended up directing the best episode of the show. I mean, he was on for you know what did it go four seasons, but um, John is now doing his own thing. And isn't he famous for doing something a documentary about Superman? He's making a documentary called, uh, you know, so, I forget. It's like Superman lives. What happened? Yeah. And it was this Superman movie that was being made in, it was like the 90s, the late 90s, and it was to be directed by Tim Burton, starring Nicolas Cage as Clark Kent slash Superman. Which is weird because... In a script written by Kevin Smith that I've read, and it's the weirdest... It's, it's, first of all, the script is terrible, but I don't blame Kevin Smith for it because it's actually based on a comic book series that was about the death of Superman. And it's incredibly weird. It features Brainiac, and so... Um, and, and, this and, and, movie, and, and, this movie got very far along in production, and the plug was pulled right before they were about to shoot. I mean, there's like screen tests with um, Nicolas Cage in this iridescent, like weird rainbow hologram Superman costume that's bizarre. Like, didn't, didn't he name his kid uh, Kal El? Yeah, so Kal-El, he's obviously Superman. Superman's father is named Kal El. Mm-hmm. And Nicolas Cage is such a huge fan of Superman and has a giant comic book collection that he named his son Kal-El. And, and, and when Kal-El says Shazam, he turns into Captain Marvel. I don't know. I, what can I say? But yeah, so the documentary um, seeks out like what happened, why did this weird... Uh, movie never get made, and then John actually did a fundraiser. He did a Kickstarter where, and I think you can still donate to it. Just Google "Superman Lives." What happened? Um, I remember panel. John Schnepp. He was talking about Superman, and I, I was like, 
Oh my God, he's, he knows a lot. He knows a lot about about this particular movie. But he flew to London and interviewed Tim Burton about the film, and he has quotes from Nicolas Cage in it. And what he's doing is he's recreating scenes from the script exactly as scripted. All because because of John's background in special effects, he's actually recreating scenes from this unmade Superman movie, and he's. He's he's actually making them. Wait, wait, but can you explain why? Why once again? How come it was never it was a film? Because it was going to be a piece of garbage. It they was, knew it was kind of yeah. They kind of knew. I mean, they were reinventing Bat, Bat, Superman in the way that Tim Burton had reinvented Batman. Mm-hmm. But the reinvention of Batman was proven. I mean, it was you know the reinvention of, of Batman for the nineteen eighty nine Batman movie starring Michael Keaton. Did you like it? I I didn't love it as much as everyone else did at the time. It's like a seminal movie and a milestone for a lot of people, but not for me. Because I... I thought it was comedy, so I was laughing a lot. I mean, I like Jack Nicholson as the Joker in it. I like Michael Keaton as Batman. But Bruce Wayne, what was Michael Keaton doing? It made no sense. Mm -hmm. And, And basically, the lead character, the protagonist of that movie, is really the Joker, because you see most of the film from his point of view. Sure. And then Batman is kind of revealed through the eyes of journalists, which is weird. When you go back and look at that movie, it's more of a mess than you remember. But a lot of people have fond memories for it because they saw it when they were kids. I was not a kid, I was a teenager, but um, I really liked the Batman comics at the time. Um, The one, of course, which is The Dark Knight Returns, written by Frank Miller, which is a comic book that I will read once a year just to instill my faith in the medium. That and Watchmen are the two comic books I read once a year. Frank Miller, that, that book is poetic. Have you ever read The Dark Knight Returns? I only read Watchmen. Okay, and, well, and, and, The Dark Knight Returns is amazing. I'm, I'm sure I have it there. I'll lend it to you. It's, um, that is the movie that reinvented Batman. It was like, what, 1984? That that came out in 1985? I don't know. It was four uh, issues. It was four issues which were then collected in trade paperback. They came out, the four issues came out over the course of a year. It is dark. It's set in the future. It stars an alcoholic. It it, it stars. It features Batman as a 55-year-old retired alcoholic who hasn't put on his suit in in almost a decade. Is he still a billionaire? Still a billionaire, but but just, you know, Mm. damaged by basically the death of Robin. Because Robin died, right? Uh, it, it was like the second Robin. And um, that is really the book that recreated and reinvented Batman. Wait, so before, because it was a serious before, Batman who was very politically charged. Before Frank Miller's Batman, what was Batman like? It was more campy? Well, there were, oh, campy, but there were other runs of it that were serious, like Neil Adams' run in the 70s. You know, there, there were glimpses of a more serious Batman. And Michael Uslan is the guy who famously in, in like the 80s bought the rights to the Batman, to Batman to make a serious Batman movie and everyone thought he was crazy. So, um, I mean, I grew up on the Batman TV show as a kid, which I loved. And I love seeing it now because, you know, you see sort of the, there's, that show's working in double entendres and two layers all sure. the time. Definitely appeal to kids, but definitely there were, you know, you know, elbows in the ribs for adults to get the more sexualized or 
other types of humor. So was was Batman different with the time? Like you know, the Vietnam War. I mean, yeah, I mean, like look, Watergate. it was a more comedic Batman. But like once it got in the seventies, those serious and DC Comics actually got very serious in the in like the late sixties, early seventies, especially with like the Green Arrow and Green Lantern series. You know, like because DC yeah. Comics never struck me like funny. You know. Um, and I mean, I'm not they saying they got ridiculous in the '50s and '60s, mm. early '60s, like like just the, you know, Batman wearing like a pink Batman sure. color costume. And they were just like stupid stuff, where it was really just you know based on some ridiculous looking cover. But um, I always preferred when superhero comics took the characters seriously. Yes, like we've never seen a, a good Fantastic Four movie. At all, and that was my gateway comic. That was like one of the first comics I started buying when I was a kid. What? Why that one? In the '70s, I don't know. I liked the. Co- I don't know what attracts you. I mean, like the colors, and it was weird. There was a rock guy. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting, but but yeah, no Batman. Um, how did we start this? Was it Batman? T- the homeless people wearing Batman T-shirts because I donated them to the Salvation Army. What makes you think I would give up one of my Batman T-shirts? I don't know why we got onto this. Um, anyways. Well, you know, like, um, I was, I remember, I have a mixed feeling about the Watchman the movie, but the comic book, I didn't know anything about it. And then when I read it, and it's one of those things when I, when I was reading, like, this doesn't feel like a comic book. It's, no. It, it seems like a novel. It's, yeah, it's definitely more like a novel because of the It's very weird. serious. It's very serious. Comedians that rape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's it's, very uh, realistic. <laughs> well, that 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 part may be true, but but um, but I was yeah. surprised. I, I really, you know, it, it raised questions like, well, what was the phrase like? Watchmen protect everyone, who, who, but, but who watches, who watches the watchmen? Yeah, who watches the watchmen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it was. I mean, it's it's great, and and, and the thing is, Dark Knight. That actually, Dark I kind of applied to uh, Ferguson, Missouri, because the cops are supposedly protecting us, but who's protecting us from the cops? Well, yeah. Look, I've been I've been watching the stuff in Ferguson nonstop, yeah. and it just it just breaks my heart because it reminds me of the tensions when I grew up in Detroit. Yeah, I grew up in Royal Oak, about two miles outside of Detroit, um, and. There were always tensions. It was always the mayor at the time, Coleman Young, always seemed to be provocative in terms of just like, you know, he was, he was very much a guy who would race bait. Yeah. I felt. And then, of course, I went through the L.A. riots. Um, I left like a year, half, six months, I, a year I, before. I was here when the L.A. riots happened. I mean, it was, it was horrifying, but um, people, people were pissed. The, the, the citizens had been had pushed too far, and... And this, this, this is just a policy. Has this, this, you know, what we're seeing with cops just using brute force and not thinking. Like it's not. I mean, regardless of what that kid did, stole a couple things from a convenience store. So what? You know, and the convenience store actually called. Like, hey, this kid seems like he's on drugs. He kind of took some stuff from the store. Whatever. That does not justify at all what the cops did. It was just I, I I don't know I, I I don't I don't I don't think and there's no going back because we have an armed police force we have an armed citizenry but sometimes you know I look at nations you look at countries like like England where the cops don't have you know they have billy clubs mm-hmm. you know they have other types of equipment but they don't have guns that's a very specialized only only in very special instances will you know British special forces use 
weapons. I mean, it's, so they, and, it's, and the it's, citizens don't have guns. It's, it's very strange because every possible way they could make things worse, they make those decisions. They, every decision they made... Like curfew. Right. Cur everything that they did escalated the situation and did not de-escalate. And your son, no who apologies, is... No apologies were made. Mm -hmm. No arrest made. Your, your this son, grand jury is, is squeaking along. Your son is brave enough to join you as uh, Marine Corps, and even he, he will tell you, like, only time you point a gun at anyone is you're ready to shoot. Yeah. And they're running around. They're, I'm not laughing. Well, the National Guard. They're running around just pointing gun at people all the time. Yeah. And, and just that just that doesn't make anyone feel safer. It cr it just creates less trust uh, of authority. I mean, look, look. I'm, you, I'm you, lucky. I'm, you, I'm lucky. I'm white. Yes. Okay. If I get stopped by a cop, I get a lot of respect. That doesn't happen, unfortunately, with with most uh, black Americans. Do you think the problem? Right? Uh, do, do you think the problem is not enough black cops shooting white kids? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you, you know what? More black cops uh, shooting, shooting black, white, white kids. Then the black guys go to jail because that's how it works in America. Black <laughs> right. guys, black guys always go black to jail. Black cops, yeah. No, it's just. Um, I really think that, like, um, just having watched a lot of the, uh, a lot of the coverage, it's it's a matter of embedding, you, 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 embedding the cops as more members of the community rather than 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 faces behind the wheels of cars more like hey let's have a conversation hey let's really suss out mm -hmm. what the damage is here but you've got a population there that um unfortunately is economically depressed you're right you're, and it's, it's a very divided um city well, in terms of ethnically speaking well, and it was a powder keg ready to go off well, 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 you especially, were, especially you were born what year 1965 Oh, okay. You're only two years old when uh, Detroit had that. Yeah, riot. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. While I know historically about the the riots in Detroit, um, that really kind of just. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the city has ever recovered. No matter how much they tried to build downtown, the city has never 100% fully recovered from that. I have a solution. What's that? Um, <clears throat> they should legalize marijuana. Have a um, marijuana farm in uh, Detroit. Wired Magazine had this amazing article about, uh, not marijuana, but they had this amazing article about vertical buildings where they have uh, farming, allow farming in Detroit. Um, allowing I mean, that's, I, I feel like those are all band-aids. I mean, look, they tried gambling in Detroit was going to save Detroit. They tried building the Renaissance Center. They tried building Joe Louis Arena. Yeah. And what happens is, is that people from the suburbs come down, they spend their money there, and they leave. leave. They don't stay downtown because it's dangerous. Um, and it's not gotten better with so many empty buildings. I mean, there's, you know, you, there are any number of photo essays that you can find yeah. about, you know, the abandoned buildings in Detroit, and you'll see how beautiful all, this, all these abandoned buildings are, but it's really kind of depressing and sad. Well, they have the room architecture tour. Like people love those old buildings in Detroit. And, and they're beautiful. And and Detroit, sadly, well, it was. This is a sad truth, but uh, you go probably like eighty, hundred years ago, Detroit was one of the richest cities in the world because it was. I mean, the car business. You know, it. I'm sure people back then couldn't imagine that the Japanese, the Germans, 
the Koreans are competing against them. But back then, what was it? Henry Ford increased, doubled the, the, the factory worker's salary, so he believed in producing well, strong he, middle class. He, right, he believed that his workers should be able to afford the very car that they're the, making. The car that they're making. He just it was for him. It was a, a, a question of logic, which which is well, then I'm basically creating a consumer base. Right. You know, it's it's. It, he was great, even though he was a Nazi sympathizer. Right. But. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so John's documentary. Um, oh yeah, John Schnepp's documentary. We're gonna go back is, and forth, but I I I'm. I'm I was. Yeah, really, we're popping around on a lot of topics here, but the, uh, I, I'm just fascinated that. Um, how knowledgeable he was, but I mean, I I think, I think people like superhero because they get frustrated living in a society like they, they feel powerless, right? So they they expect this right. character at least in this fantasy world do a lot of amazing things. But I gotta tell you, maybe this is my lack of uh, having a character or something. But last 15, 20 years, it just seemed like when you watch entertainment, bad guys seem more entertaining. You know, True. Um, the we, just, we just watched this uh, Star Trek continues when we were. Uh, this is funny when we were in uh, Las Vegas recently. I did, I did stand up thanks to you opening up for Eddie Swen, uh, Edwin Edwin San Juan at Hollywood. Um, Pl- Planet Hollywood. Thank you for the hook up there. Mm-hmm. Yoshi, that was fun. Um, but while we were there, you and I went to the Star Trek convention because it happened to be there, right? And I met up with guys from this thing called Star Trek Continues. So you should look up StarTrekContinues.com. There's an episode, I don't know how familiar you are with the old classic Star Trek, but there's a guy named Vic Minona. He's, he's, he plays Captain Kirk and he directs some of these episodes. And um, what they do is they, they try to do a faithful recreation of Star Trek as it was seen in the original 1960s, the original series starring William Shatner and, and, and Leonard Nimoy. And it is unbelievable. So, um, based on what you were saying, um, there's an episode called Mirror, Mirror. Yeah. If you're a Star Trek fan, you'll probably remember it. It was an episode in which um, uh, they go to a mirror universe where they have evil Kirk and evil Spock. Right. And, and you know, it's the Empire. You know, it's not the Federation. It's the Empire. And the, the history was different. This is a history where Hitler won the war. Right. And the Nazis actually did win, and they, they actually hiled each other in this mirror universe. But what they did was is they made a sequel, the Star Trek Continues guys made a sequel called Fairest of Them All, which is, which is a sequel to the Mirror Mirror episode in which we see exactly what happens in the evil empire universe of Star Trek after the evil Kirk comes back to his own world, after Spock has kind of been changed by the... <coughs> By the good Captain Kirk, and there's no Jews in space. That's true, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not in the uh, Empire. Can I give you a reference from the Breaking Please. Bad? Uh, when Walter Murray made uh, amazing crystal meth, it was like 98.5 purity, not, almost 99 percent, right? Uh-huh. This show is almost 99 percent. Uh, a wonderful job. Like, I, I don't know how much money they had. I'm sure it was limited for what limited amount of money they had it was pretty amazing even the acting was pretty damn good yeah no that it made me it made me laugh like what if he didn't say anything to me chris i wasn't like oh was this like a sequel that they made like <laughs> 1970 they were trying to revive it. It, it it's pretty amazing no they did yeah I, I made you watch it but it but it 
fits into what we were talking about. Yeah, bad guys are more interesting. But but it, but um, strangely, and I just tweeted this. If you follow my mm. Twitter at that Chris Gore, I like to tweet out interesting articles about the world of entertainment or politics. Mm. Um, not constantly, but you know when there's when there's something that adds to the conversation. And um, the box office at the movie theaters is down dramatically. Not one movie this year has broken three hundred million dollars domestic. And it used to be that five movies would break $300 million. Wait, wait. Oh, okay. So, okay, so okay, the okay. box office that's, that's is right, down. Because Fewer people are going to see movies in the theater. You know, the, the prices are up, so fewer people are going. You can't blame people bit-torrenting movies. Movies are not... I mean, most of the summer movies I saw, with the exception of Guardians of the Galaxy, were kind of a disappointment this summer. Um, I'd say Guardians of the Galaxy was one of the best... I like the new Planet of the Apes. I thought it was fun. That was fantastic. And then, and then one of the other best films I've seen this year is Chef. Transformer, Transformer has made uh, over a billion dollars total, domestic and international market. Right. And the reality is the money in the future will be continuously international. Right. Because even places like China, it's still now it's more considered like elite thing. Like it's a luxury of the rich. So the nearly middle class want to take their girlfriend or family to a, these nice complex. That's why when they made that movie, Red Dawn, which was stupid, they changed the villain originally as Chinese army to North Korea, which is <laughs> absurd. North Korea cannot invade the whole world, but they were afraid of offending the Chinese, so they changed that. But yes, there is less money made in USA because there's more entertainment. That's right. the problem. Well, China China is a huge market. I mean, yes. it's, it's, I mean, even for example, the Bruce Willis uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie Looper, mm-hmm. directed by Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, who was recently hired to uh, write by the way, Looper. I love that movie. Yeah. That okay. Was great. So he made this movie Looper. Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, who's also going to be writing and directing Episode Eight of the new Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars sequel. Oh, he's writing it. He's writing and directing it. Um, Ryan Johnson did a completely different version of that movie, Looper, for Chinese market. Because remember, he has a Chinese girlfriend? In China, we, they call That is a whole other subplot. Yeah. And the cut of the movie, Looper, for China, is a, it's a different movie. It's, it's basically made to more appeal to the Chinese. Right. Yeah, so, so it's something that also, you know, it can't be ignored. Even, even the, the Batman films. You know, like have uh, elements of Asia in there. In Batman Begins, in The Dark Knight, you know, he goes to Hong Kong to yes. get that one guy to bring him back. Uh, Ken Watanabe, isn't it? Yeah. And the reality is, yeah. w- w- the reason why there's more creative stuff happening in TV is because it costs less money, so people wanted to take a chance doing creative. Chat. Right, you can, you can, yeah, yeah. But when you make, right. but when you make movies, it's so expensive. You can't take that much chance. So one of the safest way to protect yourself is consider other market. Use stars from overseas. It's it's a smart way of doing business. I know some people hate 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 uh, transformer movies, but to me, it's like food. I like sometimes really fancy French meal. Sometimes I want to have uh, fucking cheap tacos. And, and Transformer, if you're looking for Oscar-worthy movie, then don't watch it. It just I just like to balance my entertainment by I like sometimes watching blockbuster films, but I also like watching these small independent films. You know. Right, right. So um, I I understand why they do why they have to do that. Um, but what I don't understand is like. 
some people get so angry and Chris and for those of you I'm it, not angry like I, I don't care like you and I saw the new Transformers movie yeah. we were lucky enough to get into an advanced screening yeah. and we saw it and I just didn't care one way or another I thought you know it was just big loud it was just stupid over the top stupid um, I was entertained but I don't think I would have paid to go see it yeah, I mean, I, I, I was going for free, but like, I just don't take it that seriously. Right. Uh, but like, I like. T T I don't know T.J. Miller personally. He's a stand-up. I thought he was terrific in it. Right. I liked him the HBO show Silicon Valley. I thought it was entertaining. Um, it's like some people get mad at like wrestling and stuff. Like to me, of course it's fake, it, but. The things that they're physically able to do, I'm I'm very impressed. To me, yeah, it, it may it may be fake, but I'll tell you, like those guys, like that, you you have to be of a certain physical constitution yeah. to be able to even pull off those moves safely. And people do get hurt doing it, even though it is staged, right? It's like a live. A guy got killed. It's yeah, it's a live soap opera. That's what wrestling is, and it's and it's and and. I'm glad you said opera because it's like. Why, why, how come you guys don't get angry about Don Giovanni? It's not real. It's, it's a performance art. But like guys who always complain about wrestling like being fake, these are the same fuckers that watch porn. It's not real. It's right, just, right. It's, it's a make-believe. So you, you gotta put, you gotta look in a different lens when you're looking at different form of entertainment, you know? So I like that. But by the way, doing shows, movies, TV show different in different market. I remember growing up, there was a movie where Godzilla versus King Kong. Well, it just depends on which market you went. In the Japanese version, Godzilla won. <laughs> I remember there's another version where King Kong won. I don't know if that's true. I, I would Wikipedia. I would look that up. But I, you know, um, and I have both the Japanese and. I could assume. I'd like to. I'd like to. I think that's one of those like urban myths. Is that right? Yeah. You should. You should. Look that up. It really, to me, I remember seeing the movie. It was a draw. They really didn't show one or the other winning. The way the, the way I remember it, when I watch it, like the way I remember it, uh, like because I frankly I was rooting for Godzilla. I, I King Kong was lame looking in that movie, but I do have that film. I think the better movie is King Kong Escapes with Robot King Kong. That was awesome. I remember that one. I probably have that also. I'm sure they're both on Netflix. You know, by now, if, if you haven't heard Chris before, Chris is, I mean, you are expert. You know a lot about these I'm things. I'm not an expert. I just know a lot about things that don't matter. Well, that's a lot of things in life. <laughs> right. But, but you, do, you do know enough, and I was really impressed when we went to Star Trek convention. You were one of the panel. And you, oh, got, the, you got the biggest laughs because no, you, say, you, you say things that a lot of the people in the uh, uh, room agree with. Basically, you're saying which movies were shit. Right. I, well, look, I mean, like any comedian, you read a room and mm. you kind of know the thing you shouldn't say and then you find a way to say it politely or you just say it the way I say it and uh, impolitely and just, I don't know. I mean, you know, you read a room and whatever. I mean, things pop in my head I shouldn't say and I'm like, well, now is the time to say it. My 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 problem. Uh, yeah. My problem. I know that audience. My, my problem is if I do a show like that, I don't have that strong a feeling. One thing because I don't have that strong feeling too. I don't know as much as you guys, but to me, I find that really entertaining. That people get so worked up and getting angry. I right. I find that really interesting. You know, uh, you were gr great because you're defending uh, Ben Affleck. Some people get really angry at that because he's playing next Batman. It's like, right, yeah. well, how do you, how do you, I don't know why, like, I, I didn't think it was a good idea to have, and 
uh, Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. I couldn't see it, but since I saw the movie, I thought she was terrific. She I, was, she was, yeah, I, I have I have faith in Ben, ben Affleck, um, not because of his earlier work, but because of movies like Argo, mm-hmm. which won Best Picture. I have faith that. Ben Affleck will have a take on Batman that is is going to be kind of like the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns. Right, but this, this that's what it's kind that's what I'm told it's supposed to be like. But when you when I heard Batman and Superman, it's, it sounded a little campy to me. Now we've been waiting to see this movie for years. I can't wait. So you think it's going to be dark? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be like the fourth book in the uh, Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns series. Can you talk a little bit about the fourth book? The fourth book is where he actually fights Superman. Wait, can you tell me a little bit more about Frank Miller? Because he didn't he do three hundred too. Frank Miller also did three hundred. Frank Miller. Who is this guy? So he. Well, he's he's is he an animator? No, he's a writer and an artist. Um, who? But he's not the animator. I don't know how he got in the position that he did, but he wrote. He wrote an amazing run of Daredevil comics in which the Kingpin, who's the Daredevil's main nemesis, Mm -hmm. this big bald guy, um, got one of his ex-girlfriends strung out on heroin, and she revealed... This isn't a comic book? This isn't a comic book. Got his ex-girlfriend strung out on heroin, and she revealed Daredevil's secret identity, and then the Kingpin came and basically just ruined his life. And it was like seven issues, and and I still have the comics... And wow, I mean, it's it's one of those ones. And Frank Miller wrote it, it was incredibly groundbreaking, and um, and dark, and like real world, yeah, and scary, and um, and I don't know how he got he pitched a reinvention of Batman, but man, when The Dark Knight Returns came out, that was like I was already a Batman fan from the TV show, different incarnations of Batman, but when Dark Knight Returns came out, that comic in the uh, mid '80s, that changed everything. I mean, that there would be no Tim Burton Batman movie if not for that comic. Because Tim Burton stuff seems so campy. It, it is really, like, in retrospect, it's pretty bad. Especially when you watch, if you watch, the, or if you read the Frank Miller Dark yeah. Knight Returns and then you watch Batman, you'll realize how bad that movie is. And I, I was one of the few people that said, I don't like this. It's kind of lame. I mean, it's, it's Batman in name only. And uh, I, I'm not a fan of it. So, 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 so. You, you know, like I like True Blood. It, it, I like True Blood because I think it's a self-aware campaign. It show. knows that it's bad. It, yeah. it, it knows I'm purposely bad. But when I watch the Batman from '89 now, it's just yeah. like, what? What is this? You know? And it's, it, yeah, it's no. But I will be honest. At the time, I thought this is the greatest thing ever. But like when you're older, you you notice things differently, right? And. Um, well, it's weird, you know, you look at stuff that, like, you know, that I thought as a kid, like, oh, my God, I love this movie, Tron. And then and then you see it now, and you know it doesn't hold up, but there's a part of you that has kind of an affection for it. And there's this a short list of movies I have that are kind of these um, old-school science fiction movies that maybe don't, don't hold up in some regard, like The Dark Crystal, um, Silent Running, um, Crawl, The Black Hole... These are all bad sci-fi movies from that era that I have a personal affection for, and you look back on them and like, wow, I don't think that, I don't know that modern audiences could even get through some of these films. Can you name a movie or two if you were producing a movie with like $100 million, 
but you could remake one of those movies. Which one do you think should be revived and, and, and do, do it and over? It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad movie, but it could make I'd it... probably do Tron, because I feel like that Tron Legacy movie was garbage. It didn't... Wait, is it based on a book? No. It was a sequel to Tron, but it was in this sort of closed grid, mm-hmm. but it did not capitalize. It was so stylistic, it was irritating. The guy who directed it, I thought, was a hack. He's a guy who's mostly an effects guy, but you know, you need to be able to direct actors and understand story. Yeah. And he did not take advantage of the fact that at the time, if you go back and watch the original Tron, which I remember seeing with my dad, and my dad explained to me that, hey, Ram is a thing. You know, a bite. Oh, that's a bite. They, they were they were basically anthropomorphizing things that were computer terms that sure. only people who knew computers knew what they were, but they were accurate to what they were describing. So, however, computer language at the time was not really um, as prevalent as now, right? Sure. Like, I feel like what Tron Legacy missed out on in terms of a missed opportunity was capitalizing on people's widespread knowledge of tech. They could have used the internet, right? Yeah. They could have had pirates on the internet that would have been anthropomorphized actual pirates that had a pirate ship filled with basically bit-torrented movies. I mean, they could have they could have taken terms that are commonplace to everyone and used them in this Tron movie, and they didn't. It was it was that Tron Legacy movie was an embarrassment. Did you hear about that book, Console War? Console Wars, no. Yeah. Um, Seth Rogen's producing it, and, and him and James Franco. It's I guess a story about Sega Genesis versus I don't remember Atari Twenty Six. Super Nintendo. It's something like that, where they're going to make a movie based on that. I don't know how. They're That's cool. Do it. I read I, I read um, the book Game Over. Game Over is a book about the history of the video game industry that goes through a lot of the console wars. I have not read Console Wars, but I'll bet. I'll bet it's pretty funny. Like I, I used to, I edited during the time of Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo, and then sort of getting into 32-bit gaming. That's when I actually ran a video game magazine. I ran a video game magazine called Video Games and Computer Entertainment that was changed into Video Games. Then we did we sp- did a bunch of spin-off magazines like Tips and Tricks and Video and Ultimate Gamer and CD-ROM Power and Computer Player. So we spun off all these other magazines at the time. I was working for Larry Flint and it sort of, I was doing Film Threat Magazine, but then I got put in charge of doing all of these other video game magazines that became very successful. It was during the high Chris, you're, you're, you're such a like, uh, I don't want to say weird, but like a renaissance man in the pop culture stuff, you know that? I've, I've had a lot of weird jobs. I don't know, I, I really do want to Because every time I walk with you, somebody will say, hey, I know you, or oh, Chris School or whatever. Well, people know me from different things. Yeah. They'll know me from comedy. They'll know me from Film Threat. They'll know me from being on Attack of the Show on G4 TV. They'll know me from the world of indie film. And, and, and You wrote a book about uh, submitting to indie uh, yeah, movie festival. Yeah, Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guides. They know me from the film festival mm-hmm. world. So, so I, the thing is, is, people know me from different worlds, but I'm not, I get really, I, I get, I'm not going to say I get bored, because I don't get bored. But um, I do have to make a living, and I sort of gravitate towards the things that are, making money but I mean right now like you know look the bulk of my income right now it's uh it's not from doing comedy that would be great but it's really from doing social media marketing I know a lot about social media marketing so I have a company some Sony Unlimited 
and I do tweets for celebrities and, and movies. I write them. And um, you, know the, you know this. Yes, and it pays pretty good. I gotta be honest with you, it pays pretty good. But if you ever need help with that, look up on Twitter at so me unlimited at some unlimited. However you want to say it. That's my. That's the Twitter account for the company that I have. And I'll do your social media. I'll do your social media, man. And it's so strange that the, uh, you know, attack of the show, you've been out of it for like two years. And then, about a year and a half, yeah. And they're still they're showing. still running episodes. And the, the ratings are really good. Here's what's ironic is they're still running reruns of attack of the show on, on G4 TV. And they get better ratings than the original programming. Um, that's on that Esquire TV network. So I don't understand. Why don't they bring it back? I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's because the video game market um, is difficult to... The video game consumer is mm -hmm. difficult to market to. Um, so you have to sell television advertising and they just don't pay attention to it. Right, because there are young kids playing video games so they don't watch TV. Well, no, they watch TV, but they watch TV on the internet. YouTube, yeah. YouTube and or G4 has, you, know, you can go to G4TV.com and watch all this stuff. It's still there. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It's just... It's this is the... What is this? the theme of this episode? This is segue... This is, this is all over the place. Yeah. But, I mean, every time I do podcasts, it's pretty much all over the place, unless I have specific guests that I've run okay for a long time. Like... I find out I might be interviewing Jim Norton next week, maybe. And right. um, with him, if I'm interviewing him, it'll be something. I'll probably interview, I, I definitely don't want to ask him the same, the same question that he's been asked a lot. But um, there's some personal stuff. I've known him over ten years, so I'll probably ask him something that from our past and bring that up. You know, like I, I mean. He, I'm sure he's, he talked enough about prostitute and tranny stuff. It's been done to death. He's, he talked that stuff over and over. So I'll probably ask him something different, maybe comedy stuff. And uh, the time he made me really uncomfortable. <laughs> How is that even possible? It's possible because he's, out of all the comedians I've made over the years, I have to say Jim is the most honest one. But he made me uncomfortable because one time, this is like relatively like early on when I met him, within the first six months or so, I was in New York, I was invited to the coffee thing, and uh, we were getting a coffee, and he basically told me he had feelings for this particular girl, and uh, he was torn about it. And I was really shocked, because I didn't really know him that well, but he opened up with me. Any conversation that had a lot of intimacy, that kind of stuff always made me uncomfortable. And I was shocked how honest he was, how open he was, you know, and, New York comedian scenes are really weird because, you know, him, Patrice O'Neill, Rich Voss, Bob Kelly, and all the other big names of Comedy Cellar, you know, Comedy Cellar upstairs. For those of you who watched Louis, it's the club that Louis walks down the stairs to go to do a comedy show. That's Comedy Cellar. Upstairs is a restaurant, and way in the back of the restaurant in the corner where all the comedians sit, at least the comedian in the past, and they're performing the comedy cellar, they will have this like conversation, and sometimes they're personal attack. You know, it could get really uncomfortable there. But um, I'm surprised, as aggressive as they are, and they can be cruel at, at times, they could be incredibly gentle and talk about like personal issues. You know, Greg Giraldo, I didn't know him well, I met him a couple of times. He's dead now, mm -hmm. uh, overdose, overdose and drugs. Right. But 
the key limb bass that life dying um right after he died kind of did a google search about greg gerardo very funny comedians and i think psychology today they're interviewing him and basically every other word he was basically saying how much of, how much of a piece of shit he, he was hmm. by himself you know and i really shocked me because he's like a yale law school graduate good looking everybody liked him very successful and his peers had a lot of respect for him and he's getting constantly like pilots and all these deals were offered to him but none of that shit really matters because this is something i know from working in porn business for years if you have a hole in your heart whether you're trying to fill it with addiction sex or food or gambling or drugs or whatnot it doesn't matter what the whole world thinks of you you feel like a piece of shit you know and um you know we have a mutual friend jonathan brasting he worked for mbsd he knew a couple hours before they announced uh robert Millen was dead he, he they knew because there he is robert Millen was their client you know and here's this guy i i gotta be honest i took him for granted i was thought i'll meet him someday because he's client of my friend's company but president obama said wonderful things about him after he passed away because he spent in uh people's consciousness since 70s mark and mindy and other stuff right from 70s 80s 90s with dead poet society uh, vietnam and my one of my favorite movie uh, um goodwill hunting and things like that but the darkness was around him right like as many millions of people made happy he was miserable yeah don't no, think about it i mean just like the all the success that he had None, none, none of that shit really matters if you if you have that hole. I, I'm not. I mean, I, I just say. Hole. The one thing, the one thing that was recurring, mm -hmm. and I can say, because I this is a weird thing, but I I was a program director at a film festival uh, that he was on the board for the Sonoma Valley Film Festival, which basically just his name is on the board, but he would show up to stuff and he. Um, oh, you met him. The, the one thing, yeah, years ago briefly but the one thing that people always said about him is i saw a lot of posts about people who had met him and had interacted with him they always said he was always on so did any you know who really knew the real him well he's always, always on. on he was and always on because mania right that, well that. yeah i mean like even like christopher nolan has a story because he did that movie what was the movie he did with al pacino and robin williams um i forget the movie it was before batman begins um but you know chris nolan patch adams there, no there was he, he got into arguments with robin williams on the set because it's like he would just get frustrated that robin williams would never stop yeah even between takes there'd be no like peace he's trying to make a serious movie and al pacino got in like a shouting match with robin williams it's like god you I have to that. stop yeah but look I don't, that up I, I, I mean, but, the stories are documented but I, I don't think he was doing deliberate to annoy people but that's the minion right like the right. mood swing and shit like that right. you know who i uh, uh i never met robin williams big fan very sad that this happened but you know who i immediately thought when i heard he was dead hmm. jim carrey i met jim carrey oh right and jim carrey has that same kind of like when i met him he was a very sweet person at the tonight show he took picture with everyone you could feel the sweet gentleness to him but I don't know what it is like I feel sadness about him there's a, something there's some I mean I'm being maybe melodramatic but 
sadness and maybe tragic past. I don't know. I don't know a lot about him. I have people that Jim were. Jim Carrey. Yeah, he was homeless for a while, right? Uh, he was a sole breadwinner for the whole family when he was fifteen yeah. or sixteen, and then you know, all this thing people treated him really bad. But there was this sweet kindness to him. But you've, I felt this sadness about him, man. Like, I, I, I do worry about him because they both had this mania, right? And I think Jim Carrey even talked about having emotional issues, I guess, you know? And you can think about these, these, these two figures are like successful, funny, rich. People just love them. And none of that shit really matters if you have that hole, you know? And, um,. I, th I think a lot of comedians suffer that too. And uh, can I can I can I just say I don't think I suffer that. <laughs> I don't think like look I deal with my own issues with depression, but but, 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 it, but I don't have that kind of hole. No, it's I think feeling bad is okay if if you have a reason to. Right. But if you don't have a reason to have those those those, I mean, I, I've said this in podcasts before. What the moodiness runs in my family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, my cousin killed himself, my dad and my uncle. And um, as a kid, I remember my mom used to scream. She wanted to kill herself. And I, as a kid, I heard her just running around. She wanted to be dead, you know. And like as a kid, what a weird thing for a kid to hear. Hear, yeah. And. I wasn't, you know, like I would go under the like <laughs> under the blanket in bed, kind of mm -hmm. hide, pretend like it doesn't happen. And my my brother would run and try to like calm my mom because she'll be arguing with my dad and whatnot. But that shit runs in the family, you know. And um, I don't know who said this, maybe one of the Hemingway. But this person walking at the beach, and all of a sudden it's a sunny, beautiful beach. And all of a sudden, this dark cloud, just darkness, just kind of struck strike this person. This just horrible mood, just the emptiness, you know. And I was dreaded that. And because of my family had a financial problems, as a kid in the early twenties, I would I would do this math in my head, like if I die and if I have a life insurance, how much money they would get, so that could pay off the family debt problem. Of course, I stopped thinking that because my cousin tried to kill himself first of many times so like it was like a rational contemplation because I wasn't happy but if I'm gonna do it there should be some kind of monetary benefit for the family right I was thinking that term but I never experienced that depth of the depression like my dad and my uncle and my cousin because they're at the level like I, I, I never reached that level you know like I, I just put this in perspective you know and uh, my cousin tried to shoot him to 94 or 5. He finally did it in 2003. Like, I don't know, week, two weeks, three weeks after my dad did it. So uh, that shit runs in the family. But hmm. my saving grace is there's nothing like doing comedy where you get laughter. It, it, it's an amazing feeling. And I, I think the problem is people who are really talented in stand-up comedy, it's bad for them because they're such a perfectionist. They're always trying to reach that perfection. What was it Ben's Lombardi said? When you, uh, when you strive for perfection, you reach excellence, right? I know my level. I could never reach that level. So there's a bit of a comfort, like, it doesn't matter. I should feel bad because I'm never gonna reach that level. I'm, I'll be good at it. To add, I'm above, above uh, what's, uh, what's that thing in baseball? Um, I, I will be literally above the Mendo Mendoza line. The guy who hit like 200 average. 
I'm good enough, I could get laugh. But I will never be like, uh, to use Detroit sports reference, I'm never going to be Isaiah Thomas level basketball player, but I could be Bill Lambert, okay. but, but by effort, you know what I mean? Like the so guy- you're saying like fake getting, you know, like make that face when you get a foul, like what? 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 I always remember him like, you know, they'd say foul, like, what, what? For those of you who don't know, so bad at that. for those of you who don't know, D Detroit have a basketball team called Detroit Pistons. They won two championships in 89 and 90. They went to the final in 80, uh, 87 and 88, both times they lost. Um, but the star of the team is Isaiah Thomas, but there's other role players like Bill Lambeer who uh, couldn't be more different from Isaiah yeah, Thomas. Bill Lambier was atheist, Isaiah Thomas was Christian. Uh, Bill Lambier come from a rich family, uh, Isaiah Thomas didn't. But they, whatever the difference they had, they united for that team and became a bad boys. They were beating shit under people, but I always like Bill Lambier because he got under people's skin because he wasn't naturally talented, but he competed by smart, aggressiveness and put that crazy effort, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I, I couldn't make a living doing stand-up. If you put a lot of effort and be, if you're self-aware, you could get better and make a living. But the guys that I admire, I think it's a really tragic thing for them because they make a lot of people laugh, but because they're so good, they're always striving for the being the greatest, you know? And I think that's a pressure that I don't have to live with. I think, I, I think I'll do stand-up for fun. I do stand up for fun as well. But those guys, I, I just—it's not making them happy. I don't right. think. Right. Well, I just, I just, I don't know that I see the path to get that. And then I see the people that are at the top of the game, and I'm like, none of them seem happy. Except guys like Gabriel Iglesias and Russell Peters. Right. Right. And yeah, yeah Russell was super nice when we were in Vegas. We saw him. He's show. a happy guy. We were backstage. Yeah, he's a happy guy. Now. And then we went, we went up to. We were, in fact, after he invited us up to his suite. We went to a party and I was so freaking tired. I think we left within like 10 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. We just like bolted because I was just like falling asleep. I think it's because I was drinking by the pool that day at the Rio. It was a fun weekend, man. It was, was a fun awesome. weekend. It was a Vegas film festival. Russell was super nice. He spoke to everybody backstage and he was like, you know, he had his openers and then it was like, oh crap, I got to go make people laugh. And he like bolted out and then suddenly he was like on the TV monitor in the back. It was awesome. And he, he, he's great because there's no, he doesn't have that darkness that's around him because... Well, yeah, I do love, not to ruin one of his jokes, but I'm going to, uh, he had one of the best, you pointed that joke out, it was like the dirtiest, clean joke I've ever heard, and it was talking about autocorrect when you send a text. Right. And it's like his girlfriend basically saying, what does I want to duck the shot out of you mean? Right. <laughs> Which is technically a clean joke because you haven't used language, but the implication is something else. I want to duck the shot out of you. Right, and then the follow-up joke. Because that is what autocorrect would do if you were trying to say something else. And the follow-up joke for after that joke is like, why does mom have to be close to Mona? <laughs> implication, he texted his mom. But yeah, it's... And now, if you're like one of these shithead purist comic they've attacked Russell too because Why? some people attack him because it's pandering and his jokes uh, don't um, expand audience imagination like when you watch this, this old school uh, comedy is like basically you have people like Richard Pryor where he will make you laugh but he will make you feel real things and make you realize the racial Injustice in America. And George Carlin, you know, people that really just sure. think. I grew up with George Carlin stuff. I mean, that was 
and it's amazing. And I don't want to dismiss like uh, like it's great you could do that, but I, I think there's not one path left. You know, it'd be great if you could make everyone think, but. I, I have no problem with when people do shows like Gabriel Iglesias and Russell Peters and Pablo Francisco of the world. They're just pure joy well, and think, fun. Well, well, I think it's also like you have to look at, you know, first of all, it's sort of like with movie theaters and the box office. Mm -hmm. There's a reason an audience is more people uh, are, are willing to pay to go see a movie than uh, another movie. Yeah. And I think you have to look at with certain comedians why certain ones come to prominence, prominence and sell out stadiums and then sometimes disappear. I mean, Dane Cook had kind of a short-lived career where... You he know, still have it, but there's a backlash. Failed, failed, failed at movies. The backlash, a lot of it came from other people in the comedy community because he had, you know, stolen jokes. And they did that Louis C.K., that Louis episode about it, even. Yeah. But um, he's not selling out stadiums anymore. He was, you know, he had kind of a, uh, a unique style of comedy for the time, and then it kind of went away. But I think it's interesting to look at, you know... What comedians are selling out big shows and who are not and who are on the horizon? I think it just I think it just goes in trends, just like with films. I, I you know I, it goes I, in trends. You know, superhero movies are big now, but even that's going to change. You know, um, whatever you some of you might feel about Dane Cook, it is still amazing to sell out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's that's quite an achievement. You know, Andrew I mean, Dice's style of comedy was big in, in the late '80s and early '90s. Say what you will, but he saw Madison Square Garden. But the one of the first guy to do was Steve Martin, and the comedy changed with time, right? So, right. you know, that part had to do with it. But there's a bit of a backlash too, because whenever something gets popular, there's going to be a backlash. So, right. it, you know, no one's going to. And then that hole will never be filled. filled. You know, <laughs> every championship team eventually going to lose. That's just that's just part of life, you know. But I I give Dane Cook a lot of credit for accomplishing a lot. Um, I'm sure there is going to be time where pe audience get more sophisticated, whatever you might, whatever may that may that be. Um, but right now, Russell Peters is the biggest touring comic in the whole world, and I, I think it's great because basically what it comes down to, I think, his audience is different from the traditional audience, which is mixed audience. Here are a group of people who traditionally been ridiculed, but some comedians talking about them in a, such a flattering way that is making them feel good. And because they know something about their culture, that they're shock it's shocking to people that, like when Russell talk about like Asian, the people who look like me, and the, some of the references, I, 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 I'm telling you, there's an honest guy's truth. It really shocked me because he knew a lot about us. Like I, I couldn't imagine back then that someone who's outside of the group was able to do that. Mm. And uh, it's almost kind of like watching, you know, your friend's movie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't know anything about it. I enjoyed it from the very oh, James Gunn, yeah. I enjoyed it because it was a fun, feel-good movie that you could watch with the whole family, and it was a clever movie, you know. And it, well, it took something familiar that you know we've seen a space adventure movie yeah. like that before, but it really flipped it on its ear with like it's sort of I, I like to describe it as like a punk rock Star Wars, you know, and and that you and it kind of tripped kids into listening to. You know the '80s music, '70 music from the '70s and '80s, mm -hmm. which was awesome because I can't stand modern music. I mean, look, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't care. I don't care about Lady Gaga. I don't care about Rihanna. Yeah. I don't care about Beyonce. I don't care about all that sort of bippity. But I, 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 you know, it's going to make me sound like a get off my lawn kind of statement. But I think modern music sucks. 
And I think it sucks in the same way there was an era. Do you remember boy bands in the early 90s? Sure. Boy bands were prevalent in the early 90s, and I freaking hated that music because it wasn't pure. It wasn't rock and roll. It wasn't... To me, I, I don't feel like it's from the soul, right? Um, I don't like, know. Like, even like Justin Timberlake and all his crap. Yeah. I like Justin Timberlake as an actor and as a comedic performer on SNL. I could He's terrific. I do not like his music at all. Like, any one of his songs that I've heard, don't like it, wouldn't listen to it a second time, hate it, actively hate it. So boy bands were big in the early 90s, and the thing that destroyed it was Nirvana. Nirvana came on, came along, and they were freaking punk rock. They were hardcore. They were from Seattle, and they and they basically supplanted. And it was a big, big middle finger to all the boy bands. I'm waiting for rock and roll to come back. I'm waiting for alternative or rock or something from that to to return because I can't stand music today. So, seeing Guardians of the Galaxy trick kids into listening to though and, and reconsidering old music including uh, one of my favorites you know the early michael jackson the early motown sure. jackson five which i love because i grew up in detroit and i loved michael jackson when i was a kid i was in the jackson five fan club when i was five years old because i was around the same age as michael jackson and i loved michael jackson i loved I used to watch the jackson five cartoon i loved that stuff so um, it was like later when with, with Michael Jackson's solo career, I was like, ah, I'm not, I don't really care for this. But Chris, don't you it's think it's too pop? But the Motown stuff was awesome. But don't you think well, it's, you know, it's when, more pure when when you were a kid? Less produced, more pure. Less produced, more pure. When you're just kid. like Al Gore. Al Gore was Shut over. Up. I'm serious. Same point. He was Al Gore was overproduced. He was given so much advice. When he got up on stage to do a debate, he didn't know what to say. He was the, the advice coming in from fifty different things: of, do this, smile here. When you say this, do this and point, whatever, and make sure you're, you're this, this this overproduced. Just be yourself. Be yourself and be relaxed and don't care what people think of you. And I think whenever whenever any artist does that, I think that's when you get their best work. And when someone is overproduced, whether it be in television, whether it be overproduced music, where it's like fake and bippity boppity and it's this bullshit. The way that music produ is produced today, you know, um, uh, with with streams and and you put this stuff together and suddenly throw on and I I, I can't stand it. I, I don't like stuff. I like stuff that's pure. Um, but Chris, I think I just think when you were a kid, I'm ranting. I'm trying to pull everything together that we've talked I, about today on the show I, into one when, salient point. When, when when you were a kid, yes. some adults gonna say the shit that you like is garbage too. I think that's just normal. You know, it just. I don't know anything about modern music. Only thing I'm gonna say is I like that fucking Rihanna. <laughs> I don't know anything about her music. I, I just, I, I just I, love, love looking at her. Uh, I think she's hot. I could care less for the music. I, I, I like everything that she does, but I will say the one person, I, I, the musically, it was pretty amazing to me is that, am I pronouncing her name right, Adele? I think she's very talented. Yeah. And. Um, uh, I'm not saying I agree with you. I'm saying yes, her name is Adele. And I, uh, I also like, what's her name? Uh, rest in peace, Amy Winehouse. I don't, yeah, whatever. I, 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 um, I thought she was a terrific and uh, talented. And this is coming from somebody who don't care about music. But those two, uh, those three are like, um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll I think yeah. we almost, we almost covered nearly everything. I, I think we did. I, yeah. uh, I, I loved, uh, enjoyed, uh, so when are you gonna, I, so you're going, is it, am I right, are you going to Ferguson, Missouri to do stand-up? <laughs> 
Yes, for the uh, K- uh, KKK and uh, police. <laughs> I think you should go there to do stand-up, man. Because I mean, the one thing, one thing that I know about to me, the best comedians, the ones that are my heroes, are the ones that are able to address politics in the form of jokes. I mean, um, taking a complex idea and expressing it in in a very few words is something that comedians, the best of comedians, are, are, are really good at. And I think that now more than ever, what Ferguson needs is it needs some commentary from some comedians basically uh, you know, making some of these points very bluntly about what's going on there I don't, I don't. About, about the way that, that basically we're completely subjugating um, black men, young black men. You know, the, the, the number one cause of death among young black men is being shot and murdered. It's, I mean, it's utterly yes. ridiculous. It's not any disease. It's not anything else. It's, it's being murdered. That is, and it's, and it's, what it's, what it's but, done, but, but, we cheat ourselves, we but, cheat, we cheat ourselves as a nation by not having that, that generation be produ- educated, productive, in jobs, contributing to the economy, i.e. paying taxes so that we can grow and, uh, as a nation together, instead we decide to very, very, in a very racist way, just subjugate, um, a whole in, in, class of citizen, and it's messed up. In, in, in absolute terms, just in, just in the, just in the utopian Star yeah. Trek that I hope one day exists yes. to bring it back to Star Trek. I hope that uh, we believe in you know in infinite combinations and infinite possibilities, and that every person, every citizen has value. And so to do this is just unconscionable on the part of the United States. I, this this it's. It's a problem that has to be addressed in a big way, and if Ferguson is is the you know the spark that 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 maybe wakes up a lot of people, maybe that's the way it has to be. Uh, first of all, uh, we both like science fiction, and this is something Isaac Asimov talked about. The reason why people like science fiction because it gives you some notion of future possibility. So you know, well, you were talking about why the technology, is it, this and that, and maybe give you hope for the future. They should do it. You were saying before we even started recording this that there should be a Star Trek episode where the red-shirted security officers are shooting a lot of green young men. <laughs> yes, a lot of green young men. But but having having said all this silly stuff, I have to say, in absolute terms. Actually, when it comes to black men getting murdered, it's usually by other black men. The most murders are done by people kill their own group. It's just that it doesn't make any news when you when you do that. And I don't want to make a lot of what's going on in Ferguson because we need to end this now. But things are actually better. I know when you watch news, it seems like a world's going uh, to a shit. But things are actually better. It really is. So I, I, I know there's a lot of science fiction where everything goes shit in the future, but I'm, I'm, I'm a cautious optimist, even with all the shit that happens. Um, I think most people get along in America. In fact, when I go to Europe, one of the reasons why there's tension among the white Europeans and Muslims, mm. because they don't do a good enough job assimilating people the way Americans. So any time they say something bad in America, there's incidents. But generally speaking, day-to-day uh, things that happen in America, things things are better. Believe me, the racial people get on more people get on with other race. It just we make news when there's incidents at Ferguson, Missouri. But for most part, 
in America, most people do get along, and if they don't like somebody, they just don't interact with them. So I don't yeah. want to knock down America because right. I like living here. As many problems there are, I think they're more good here. Right. Well, well even though even though like with the largest percentage of larger percentage of our population in prison than any other nation that on, is true. on the planet. That's also true. There, that, that's a whole other discussion. But but Yoshi, you've said it all. Another great episode, award winning episode of Yoshi did and I want to congratulate if you hear me uh, I sound, wanna, sound of uh, somebody getting punched wanna, in the face no but wait I want to congratulate you <laughs> wait a second no I want to be sincere I want to congratulate you on being an amazing host of your show I want to congratulate me for being possibly the best guest that has ever appeared on Yoshi didn't recurring guest yes by the way and I want to thank you the listeners for listening to this Five episode the, for, for listening to this episode of Yoshi didn't I, I want to give, I, I want to bestow upon you listeners the award for the best <laughs> listeners to any podcast. Thank you for listening to Yoshi Didn't. My name is Chris Gore. You can follow me on Twitter at that Chris Gore, or you can just go to chrisgore.com and you can see funny photos and videos of me. And you can see my, you can listen to my comedy album. Listen to my comedy album. It's Celebrities Poop, available on iTunes and Amazon. And if you email me, at podcrash at that Chris Gore. No, wait. It's podcrash with that Chris Gore at gmail.com. Pod, all spelled out. Podcrash with that Chris Gore at gmail.com. If you email me there, I will send you back a code on audible.com to get a free track. Me, me reading the book Celebrities Poop. It's a, it's, a, it's a bonus track for my album that's not available for purchase, but I will give it to you. I'll send you a download code. And also, we'll see how many people actually listen to this show. I think I can only, I've got 25 codes to give away. So for the first 25 people that hear this, uh, podcrash with that, chrisgore at gmail.com, uh, email me. And uh, I want to thank you for listening. Yoshi, any final words? Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we're going to go at Chipotle and have a nice dinner right now. Chipotle? That's a nice dinner? <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.